0: The Bears on Tap Show is here on a wonderful Tuesday afternoon, October 10th, celebrating a Bears win, the first one in a very, very, very long time. Almost a full calendar year since we've talked a WQ. I'm here on the mic, as always, with Mr. Bucket Stats. Q, first of all, before we dive into some Bears football, how are you doing, man?
1: I'm doing good, man. It's a... Uh life's just a little bit better when when the bears win. Like I know that some people might not have, you know, been hoping for wins already this year, but like I don't know. You got the Carolina pick. Like I just want to see growth from these guys and it sure feels like some of these guys are growing right now. So it's that, that that's exciting to me just to see the growth on the tape on the field live during the game players getting better that's just a huge thing to me and i i hope we keep seeing it because it just makes it so much more fun to cover to talk about to make content for everything just becomes that much better when you're seeing that growth and seeing some wins here and there
0: yeah i think like as a fan and this is just in general for any sport you you forget that these guys are people in a locker room they do this for a living and they're extremely competitive So when they don't win for a very long time, it sets a lot of negativity in the locker room. It sets a lot of doubt in a player's mind. And confidence, in my opinion, in any career in general, is a trait needed. And you can only gain that by having success in your profession. And I think that while we all sit here and root for, man, I hope they get this thing right, Honestly, these wins mean more, and these wins very much they kind of propel you know these guys into you know different points of their career. Maybe they raise their play because the confidence that they have and the, and the trust that's being built. The Bears win forty to twenty on Thursday. Um, Justin Fields goes for two eighty two, four touchdowns and a one twenty five point three quarterback rating. Uh, the other guy who deserves to be mentioned. Uh, as a a guy who won this game, is D.J. Moore. D.J. Moore goes for eight for 230, three touchdowns. Crazy, crazy day for him. Uh, A Bears' historic wide receiver performance. Q, what was your opinion watching this game? First initial thoughts about the offense, man. Watching D.J. Moore and Justin Fields kind of blossom with that connection.
1: It felt like stuff was on time. You know if it felt like there was there was tempo to to the dropbacks. there was tempo to his hitches to where routes were supposed to be to getting the ball out on breaks. Like I felt like we saw more anticipation throws than we've really ever seen from Justin, which is huge, which speaks to the trust there between him and more specifically, which is something we've been begging for right? That uh, for fields to start hitting some of these anticipation throws and you hope that it's not something as simple as, well, wa- Washington was stubborn and stuck in the same coverage for most of the game and, or the same coverage concepts that the Bears expected. So they kind of, they knew what, what they could do that game and they just did it. I mean, to some degree, I don't know, as I'm saying that out loud, it's kind of, kind of corny because that's all it all is. You know, it's like, we know they like these three coverages, so when we see this coverage, we're going to do this. When we see this coverage, we're going to do this. But actually reading it or like reading it and the opponent not just sitting in it every third down, being like not, not making it clear as day what they're going to be doing, right? You hope that that's not what Washington was doing as much as Fields was seeing it, reading it, hitting it all on time and not the, the, the on t- I can't stress enough. The on time factor, like it, it's, it, it's so important for a passing offense to be on time, to be hitting what you're supposed to be hitting. Cause the off schedule stuff, the crazy highlight plays that you get off schedule, they're great and they're amazing and we all love them, but they're not consistent. Consistency is being on time.
0: Yeah. And too, like just, it's quarterback growth. It's something that we wanted to see for a while here. It's something we screamed on the show about. Justin Fields needs to throw with more anticipation, and I think on time too is is working in the idea of anticipation. Looking at the coverages, knowing what's there, and taking what you what the defense gives to you, and getting the ball in the hands of a playmaker. I mean, let's let's face it, DJ Moore. A lot of times can make something out of nothing. And he did on Thursday. He has over the course of this season. For for much of it, he's been pretty much incredible, all things said, with how bad this offense was for three games to start. It seems like they're finally getting, like you said, that on time. And Justin seems a little bit more comfortable. I think that's the that's the key over this too. The last two games, it just seems like Justin has a little bit more excitement to his game, a little bit more anticipation, like you said. There's just a lot more that I think he likes to do over the course of this new called-ish Getsy offense.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think I think you can say the last three games, you go back to the Chiefs game, it's see it was like the result obviously was terrible. But one of the big things you talk about in especially college tape when you're looking at draft prospects, but and in any tape, you're grading the process, not the outcome. And being process-oriented, that KC game was even better than the first two had been. So, like, I, I'm even willing to say the last three games, you've seen his process continue to be better and better and better, and you hope it just keeps stacking here. Now, one thing I will say that does concern me, and I say this because after the first two games, maybe even the first game, my mindset went from, okay, okay. The last two years the glass has been half full. Now the glass is half empty. And it's gonna take time to earn it back to get it back up to half full, to to get that optimism back with the quarterback play. And it's trending that way, but I'm still looking with a skeptical eye right now because I don't want to be bamboozled. You know, I don't want to be tricked. Trubisky tricked me. <laughs> That's half the reason I'm sitting here right now talking about the Bears is because I was so confused by Travisky that I just had to learn more. And I had to study more. And I had to, like, I had to know, you know. So I, I, I'm, I'm still sitting here saying I need to know. I need to find out. And with that comes questions. So the question that I have from this game is, like, almost all the yards were DJ Moore. And those were almost all go routes and hitch routes. Routes to the sideline, nothing over the middle of the field. And the middle of the field has been one of our concerns with fields. Like, he's he's been really good at times in his career hitting intermediate routes. But intermediate routes in between the hashes, that's been an area that's always been kind of... It, that's the danger zone for quarterbacks, right? That's where people come flying in out of nowhere and get an interception. That's, that's where the best quarterbacks in the world make their money. And that's an area where we still see fields hesitating to attack. Last Thursday, he didn't need to attack it, you know, so he didn't, which is fine. It's great. Some of the best quarterbacks in the world will have games like that, but I still have questions because of it, because I still need to see him doing that. And, when all of your yards, all your production is coming to DJ Moore on the outside outside routes that are not cutting into the middle of the field, that question's still going to exist for me, just a little bit at least, because at some point that's not going to be there and you're going to need to hit the middle of the field. I hope Justin can do it. I want him to be able to do it, but I need to see it. So DJ Moore's huge game was great. I'm all four feet in the hot hand as long as they stay hot. But I hope this week we do see some more stuff using the rest of the field, not using the boundary so so heavily. Yeah,
0: I think what this, this game kind of does is put DJ Moore on, on even more of a spotlight for these defensive coordinators coming in. And now maybe that opens up more chances for them to get creative with guys like Darnell Mooney and with guys like yeah. – yeah guys like Cole Komet, you know, now, like you said, when you finally establish an identity in an offense, now is your opportunity to pivot on that and use other players in successful situations. I think that that's, there's going to be a lot of eyes on Sunday on on DJ Moore for sure. And that's what the Vikings are going to go into on this, this Sunday, try to do let's stop DJ Moore. Let's make them use Darnell Mooney. Let's make them use, you know, these lower-end wide receivers that, you know, now that Chase Claypool's gone, it's it's a question of, you know, is the St. Brown going to get in there? Is it Tyler Scott that gets the chance? There's there's now an opportunity for somebody on this Bears roster to carve out a, a place in this offense for themselves. I think, too, it's an opportunity for Getse to get creative. It's, a, it's an opportunity to use DJ Moore in a spot where, you know, you're showing the same kind of – you know, formations that you showed on Thursday, but there's new wrinkles to these plays and they had the mini buy to, to go over this stuff and they're going to get healthy. We're going to talk about that later. And now it's time to install, you know, new nuances to this offense that you've kind of seen over the past three weeks.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I really think that with Claypool being gone, they're able to lean a lot more in their 12 personnel package that gets. probably, I assume that he is big on that coming from green Bay. Green Bay has always been big on it. Um, as long as the floor has been there and that that kind of opens up a lot of possibilities for what they can do in the run and the pass game out of that 12 personnel package, whether it's Tanya and whether it's Mercedes Lewis um, being that extra tight end on the field, 12 personnel being one running back, two tight ends. Uh, and two wide receivers, as opposed to your three wide receiver sets. Which when you had Claypool, you probably felt pressure to run more three wide receiver sets. Um, I don't think any offense in the league can truly succeed running majority twelve personnel. But like talk thirty percent of the game in it—that that's a lot. And yeah. that—that's that, I think what we're kind of starting to see here that them really lean into a bit more.
0: It, yeah, and two like you said with that with that 12 personnel, you're you're able to get a guy in Robert Tunyon on the field more often than you brought in for a reason, too. You know, he was a big signing coming in. He's a big body. And that's, you know, maybe Justin can start to anticipate more throws to a guy like him more often coming this week, too. You know, those two big tight ends, I think, are going to play huge for the next couple, like you said, for the rest of the season. Because, like you said, that 12 personnel is something I think that, uh, like you said, they'll, they'll use often.
1: Well, and the thing that is so, so when you're in 12 personnel, right? Like the defense always gets the chance to, to match substitutions. So the defense sees two tight ends out there. It's like you're going to consider matching with heavier personnel always, right? You're going to consider bringing an extra linebacker on the field and taking a DB off unless your nickel is just that good against the run. So that creates mismatches. In coverage, I mean, you at that point, you have two corners and two safeties in coverage. You don't trust a single linebacker on the field against the wide receivers, and it just creates more space for the offense to work with, to be able to, to find the space and be able to, to hit it and get yards after I'd actually be I haven't looked this up, I'd be really interested to see what personnel the Bears were in on their big plays this past Thursday. Because something tells me they might have those might have been the times where Washington matched heavier personnel, and that helps a lot with yards after catch and the ability for DJ Moore to to go eat in that space out there.
0: That's fair. We'll have to go we'll have to do a little homework here at Bears on Tap. <laughs> Going back to find out which uh but yeah, uh I know you were taught, you wanted to talk a little bit about the defense too, because I you said the defense got a little pre-show did a lot of different things that uh We've been talking about on the show. So first, the question becomes: Do the Bears? Def- does the Bears defense listen to Bears on tap? That's the first question. And the second question becomes: What were they doing that jumped out to you? Things that we've talked about and you've talked about on the show, and mixing things up to to realistically get some more you know pressure on the quarterback. They had 1 B hits, which I mean, if you look through the first couple weeks of the season, that's. That's not normal. It's not something that we've seen a lot
1: of. Now, first of all, with those QB hits, you got to tip your hat to Sam Howell for holding the ball for all of eternity and just like running around like a madman. Cause I think a lot of them did come on some QB hits where it's like the guy held the ball six seconds. You better be hitting him. (laughs) But that being said, the defense got, they got creative. They got in their bag, which was awesome to see. I mean, conceptually, I think some of the coverage – I'm not too sure on the coverage concepts. I'm sure they were pretty similar to what they were, they were always running. But as far as the defensive fronts and the alignments, they they brought a lot more creativity and the personnel packages that they had. Like seeing Jervon Dexter out there a lot more with a lot different groupings than you've seen previously. And just the way they're aligning these guys, it, it does – change the math changes the way that stuff happens when you when when you're putting javon dexter and andrew billings both in the a gap so either side of the center that's nerve-wracking for an interior line those are two massive strong human beings that you are threatening to just hit a weak point with because like your center is never going to be the strongest lineman on the team He's, he's just not and the guards are there to help but like it's the interior can be kind of a a weaker spot strength wise. So I really like the idea of putting those two just houses of human beings right there and making them feel it. And then you, and then you see, so like I'm thinking of that as like when you, we are putting both those guys in the a gap, it's almost like an inverted mugged front, right? Cause a mugged front historically is like you, you have your, your 2d tackles. They're a little wider and you mug it by bringing the linebackers right up on the center what they were doing some of in this example, at least they were doing some of was putting the two nose tackles right in those a gaps and maybe threatening with the backer over the B gap. some. and you saw some of that, you saw some normal mug fronts. Like I, like I just said, with the two linebackers over the a gap, you saw some times where they, they, they put the linebackers mugged up and they dropped and then one of them still came a split second later, like it's, you just saw more creativity that we'd been begging for. And that was just fun. And it's just nice to see. And it's, it makes the opponent have to think. And that's all we want. Make it if they're, if they're gonna, if they're gonna succeed against you, at least make it hard on them, you know? And that's what they were doing. They're making it hard on them, making them have to think making them have to worry about what they might throw at them next. You saw some corner blitzes out there. You saw a variety of different blitzes. Um, I still assume that they didn't blitz that much, but you saw a few plays where a D lineman dropped into coverage. So you were still only bringing four, but like you were getting the simulated pressure out of it, right? You were bringing a guy from an unexpected area instead of that fourth D lineman who you dropped instead. Um, and that, that type of stuff can just go a long way. Um, and hats off to Jervon Dexter, man. He he had a game. I mean, I'm he's he's not Jalen Carter, you know. He's not gonna be Aaron Donald, but like, I loved this kid's tape at Florida, and a big part of why I loved it, which this is this honestly, from an evaluator perspective, this sounds this might sound terrible, but like. You're watching this guy. You're like, he's slow off the football. He stands straight up. He doesn't have a single pass rush move. How the hell is he winning? He's that strong. I mean, it was that simple on his college tape. He was that strong. None, nothing technique wise really mattered much for him because it was just like, he's different. And that's what, one of the reasons I loved his tape because It was like, man, if he could tidy up some of these things and develop one pass rush move, you could be talking about a guy who's really dangerous. And that's what we started to see some of. I mean, we're still not seeing much pass rush moves, but just seeing the the dominant strength translating is huge to me because it's like, okay, well, he's got that at the NFL level too because that, that was the number one concern with a player like that. Like, will that trait translate? because the guys in the NFL are a lot bigger, a lot stronger, might handle it easier, but it has translated so far. And you're starting to see him build more confidence. And he's faster off the ball now. So he has cleaned up one thing. Starts getting the pad level right, you start really seeing a player. Um, one thing that uh, my friend Robert Schmitz pointed out to me, though, that is I need to go back and look at look at more of. And as he said it, I was like, Be onto something. I'm not sure that Dexter wins to his left very often. It seems like he's always winning to his right. And even going back to his college tape, just thinking about it, because I didn't go back and re review it, but like just thinking off the top of my head, it does feel like a lot of stuff was going to his right. So it's one thing I'm looking for this week. I want to see if he's making any plays to his left. Because that's gonna—that's gonna,
0: that's hilarious to me. Because the whole time
1: you're you're talking about
0: that, I'm thinking of the Derek Zoolander. I can't turn left. <laughs> we we need we yeah. need uh, we need Brian from uh, from On here to quote us in on a little bit
1: of a uh, Javon Dexter can't turn left. Yeah. And, uh... <laughs> I mean, maybe maybe he can. I'm hopeful he can. And if he can, I'm hopeful he can figure it out. Zoolander did it eventually when he needed to. In, in a place glory. So I'm hoping that <laughs> Extra can be the same way. But and I mean who knows? Maybe it's not right. Maybe he wins his life all the time. And we've just never noticed. But that that was just an interesting thing that I'm looking for going forward on him. Um it's I mean, you think about it, he's a basketball player at heart, right? Like he, he grew up playing basketball. He was late to start playing football because of his basketball potential and basketball how often do you find a guy who can only go to his right?
0: Yeah. Awesome. You
1: know, it's a similar concept. Um, so I'm interested to watch that with him. And the other rookie defensive tackle, Zach Pickens, I mean, he did not he, – he has not gotten the same type of reaction from the game because he also didn't get the same opportunity. And his flashes were not as stated as Dexter's because his, his tools – are a lot different than Dexter. Like, Dexter's tools were going to translate to the NFL day one if they were going to translate, because strength is one thing you just have or you don't. Pickens, there was always going to be questions with his strength, but what I liked in his draft profile was his first step, his athleticism, his his bend, his ability to contort into, into weird positions and still be under control of where gravity is taking him. And started to see some of that in his, in his reps, like nowhere, nowhere near the, the level of interesting that you saw from Dexter, but it's growth. It looks like development to me. You're you're seeing him use his hands intelligently and use that quickness to find space along the defensive line and get into gaps. There were a few reps that were much more impressive than anything I've seen from Peck, from Pickens all year, which... Isn't saying a lot, because the first four games, Pickens was almost non-existent out there on the tape, I'll be honest. But, like, he wasn't last week. He wasn't non-existent. He was. There were a few times that he really flashed to me. So it was just nice to see that growth, that development. And I hope it's something he can carry over into this next week as well.
0: Yeah, I think, and to go back, like, just pure defense, to, to go back and talk about some of the fun stuff they were doing, you know, this week. I saw Javon or I saw uh, Brisker out there, just talking at the fans, having a good time, shit talking. Like we haven't seen that, man. Like there's, and it's easy to do that when you're winning. I get that. It's easy to do that when you're having success. But man, like, I just like to see this unit have a little bit more fun out there, less robotic, be themselves. You know, I I hate to pull the old Matt Nagy, but be you, man. Like, but. There's some truth to that. Like shit talk out there, get in, get in the face of people, play aggressive, fly around. Like that's what we want to see defensively. We saw a little
1: bit of that this week. Man, if if you if you didn't see the shit talking from Brisker the first four weeks, I don't know what you were looking for, but it was there. Now, I just it showed more. <laughs> yeah, it. yeah. Go ahead, it's man. easier to do when you're winning. But sure. I'd, 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 I'd honestly like to see Brisker. Quiet down a little bit, but that's really? just me. okay, yeah, fair enough. It's it's been Sorry. it's been it's been a little much all year from him. <laughs> um, it's it, it, I'm all for it when you're making plays, but if you're not making plays, it just starts to starts to rub you the wrong way a little.
0: That's that's fair enough. I I just I don't and maybe that was a broadcast, you know, national the broadcast. Problem, they're right. showing more of the the player reaction than they are. There's more, a little bit more time in between there's less things going on. There's less checking of the the fantasy, you know, Sunday for me yeah. too. There's, there's less, you know, digging into winnings and things like that on a Thursday that, you know, yeah, maybe it was just more of that. It, it just, it just caught my eye that they had a little bit more fun out there.
1: Hey, I, yeah. And I'm, I, I think it's a valid day. Like from all the other guys, I just, I'm a little tired of hearing about Brisker talk about it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's it's fair let's move on uh, talk about a little bit I'm gonna call it the trench report and we'll talk a little bit about the offensive line the job they did on uh, on Thursday um, pretty solid I thought uh, you know I think it's really tough too to put them in the position of you know you're down to your fullback running at the end of the game you're trying to ice it and they did okay. I, I, all things considered, you know, with, with everything that was going against them in that game and the very talented Washington front, things were pretty good. I thought they held up pretty well.
1: I mean, one of the things to really highlight in there is they held up despite playing seven different offensive linemen, right? I mean, you saw Jatari Carter in there. You saw Lucas Patrick. You saw Cody Whitehair. You saw Carter, Whitehair, and Jenkins all at left guard at points. And you saw Whitehair and Patrick both playing center. So I mean, what is it? So that's five. Yeah. So there's eight different offensive linemen, not seven, eight different offensive linemen throughout the game, all playing, you know, 10 plus snaps, 15 plus snaps, something like that. Um, usually that's kind of a, a death wish an offensive line, when you're getting that many different different combinations, especially against a front like Washington. And, like, don't get me wrong. They, they exceeded my expectations against this front because this is probably the most dangerous D-line in the NFL, um, just top to bottom. I'm not sure you'll find a more talented unit anywhere else. But they were – so they exceeded my expectations, but it's, like, still – it's ugly at times but like they did better than I would expect the average NFL offensive line to do against this team. Um, Darnell Wright, probably had a few welcome to the NFL moments in this game, Um, but it, it didn't slow him down. He was just as mean and angry as ever. So like, I, that's what you like to see. Like after a bad moment, he's coming right back and giving it right back to him. Um, So, I definitely thought there was still a lot of promising tape from Dardell, right? But it was a rougher game for him. First time that he's really faced. I mean, talking about the guy that you were running against him all game, Montez sweat 35 and three quarter inch long arms. Like the, the, the threshold for NFL offensive tackles is 33 inches. This guy's got two and a half inches on the average NFL offensive tackle. Like that is just freakishly long athlete who can move and sweat took it to right a few times like he right was having a hard time keeping sweat out of his chest out of just like getting really good hand position and driving him backwards but he was figuring it out as the game went on and he ultimately he late in the game he was getting the job done which is important that you just find a way to get the job done. That's a lot of, a lot of play in offensive lines, just finding a way to get it done. Um, and who knows, maybe Montez Sweat or Chase Young's Chicago Bear this time next year. We'll find out.
0: They're That's both free already,
1: agents, and already Washington's had some got a little, on that too. Yeah. Washington's got a little too much money invested on that D-line, as it is one of those two guys is leaving. Uh, like I'm not sure how they'll probably maybe they'll franchise tag and trade one of them, but like, I can't imagine they can re-sign both those guys. Um, but keep it on with the Bears O-line. Extremely impressive game from Nate Davis. I, I think Polls nailed this signing right now. Like Nate Davis has just looked good every game I've watched him in. He's had, a- he's had his moments of rust from, you know, lack of practice, lack of chemistry, whatever you want to call it. But for the most part, this is a guy who's consistently doing his job and doing it well. Um, when Lucas Patrick was in at center, I was pre- – again, I, I've been impressed with Pat- Patrick's pass protection this year. It's been better than I expected it to be. Um, run blocking, not so much. That, that's where he really kind of struggles. And Whitehair came in about halfway or maybe a third of the way through the game, took over at center. Um very similar stuff. I mean, I, Whitehair had a had a fairly rough game. All things considered, for, from a uh, pass protection standpoint, um, run blocking he was serviceable. But one thing to note with Whitehair's game until this point, like he had, in pass protection, I had rarely given him marks better than fine. Like and my, my grade scale goes dominant, good, fine, poor, bad. So he was living between the good to poor range, usually not bad. Like usually he's doing like like finding a way to get it done. But like it's like hanging on by a thread, but a lot more fine than good and also more poor than good. This game in pass protection, I had more good good reps from him than I've had in any game this year, which was interesting. Also a lot of poor and bad reps, but like the good was a lot higher than it had been. So maybe he will kind of kind of level out more at center and be show more of the player that he once was. Um we'll find out. I'm also interested to see if Dan Feeney ever takes over at center, because I'd like to see what he can provide knowing what we have in Patrick and Whitehair at this point. Um, Tevin Jenkins, first game of the year, he only played, I don't know, maybe half the reps, Um, because Cody Whitehair started the game at left guard, then Jenkins came in, and then Carter took over at the end, Uh, because I imagine Tevin's still getting in game shape. But, I mean, right off the bat, man, this guy likes violence. <laughs> Tevin Jenkins, just like the very first snap, you could just see... How much he was itching to hit somebody, and like he was patient, waiting for the guy to throw his hands. That then, you know, the snatch trap on him didn't quite get him to the ground. And just basically tackled the guy. Like Jenkins likes to hit people, and he showed it from the start. One thing that I will say though that I noticed in this game from the difference between white hair and Jenkins, um, when so he's at left guard. When the left tackle is taking a vertical set, so, like, he, he's dropped, like, off the snap, he's jumping backwards and, like, really trying to get that depth. What, what happens when you take that big step backwards? You leave a big amount of space between right. you and the guard, right? So the guard needs to have enough awareness to be protecting that and enough depth in his own drop to be able to reach if he needs to, if the defensive end is going to cut inside on the shoulder, inside shoulder of the tackle. That's something that I really like white hair was typically doing a better job at left guard of that than we saw from Jenkins. There were a few snaps where it's like Jenkins was almost stepping forward into his guy to go attack him. And it's like, you can't, if, if your tackle is taking a vertical set, you can't be moving forward because you're just, you're making that gap even bigger. For Chase Young to just dive through, so that was one area where I'd li- I'd like to see Jenkins do a better job of because I mean Chase Young probably hit Justin Fields about four times on inside moves. NFL teams are going to be testing this going forward because right. Larry Borum is not quick to change direction. He's he looks the part like he is a massive human. Every time I watch tape, I look at him and I'm just like, man, this guy looks like a left tackle. But, like, he doesn't have the quickness to, to adjust back inside and protect that inside shoulder, which puts it on the guard to some extent. And Boreham to be aware of it and adjust how he has to play. But the guard is also responsible for that. So when you see Borum getting beat on some of these inside moves, I challenge you to look at what the guard's doing. How far away is the guard? Was it on Borum for – getting too far away from him or was it on the guard for not keeping up with him, for not keeping that, that arc that you want around the pocket, that, that clean arc where, because the offensive line is one unit, right? They're one thing, five guys playing as one. If you're not playing as one, it, it all collapses down. And that's what we kind of saw some on the left side at times on Thursday, because Larry Boreham had the roughest game of the season that he's had. And it was like, it was weird. It was one of the most bipolar games I've watched this year. For and I've watched, I've watched every Bears game five times, once for each offensive line position, and this was the weirdest one that I've seen yet because it was like about a third of his snaps I had graded as good. I think I had one dominant rep from him from a pass pro perspective like six fine reps and the rest were all poor or bad. And it's like to have that much good, but also that much poor and bad is just, you don't see that often. And it was, it was, it was odd. And I I think that some of that does come down to the, the continuity, the chemistry between Boreham and Jenkins playing next to each other and knowing how each other are going to be playing certain plays, certain situations, certain fronts, and alignments that they're looking at when they when they have a blitzer and an edge stacked up right there, how are they handling that? That's something that the lack of practice is probably impacting. So I hope that they do clean that up.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's well put. I think it's uh, something I'll definitely be looking at the relationship between the tackle and the guard going into Sunday. Uh, but before we move on to our bears Vikings preview Q, got any final thoughts about this Thursday night win? Anything uh, that maybe you saw that you want to just bring up performances, game, you know, concepts, anything?
1: Um, just keep up with the creativity on defense. I mean, if you – in one of our off-season segments when we had the the State of the Bears series um, – Brandon Robinson who is a a coach a, a defensive coach defensive coach at the high school level I believe right now. Um he said if you don't have the talent you need to create chaos with your scheme. And we did not see the Bears create chaos with their scheme the first 4 weeks. We started to see it this week. So just keep keep the foot on the gas, keep creating chaos cuz that's how you need to you need to play to have success when your defense is at a talent deficit. Um and on offense, we asked them to stack games. We asked them to stack good performances. That's two. Let's see another.
0: Damn right. Uh, I think you know, going into this this week too. Now we're in our bears Vikings preview. It's really nice to see them get healthy on that defensive side too. I know we were talking a little bit about that pre-show. Um You know, Kyler Gordon, Jalen Johnson, Eddie Jackson, some guys potentially returning. And like you said, some of those best players on the defense will be maybe suited up on Sunday. And uh, way less uh, guys who you just pulled off the practice squad from some other team four days ago being thrown out there. Because the Bears have had a lot of that, I think, on their back end for the last couple weeks.
1: Yeah, the, the, the cornerback and safety Depth has not been a strength on this team because they've been hampered by injuries. I mean, we know we knew coming into the season the safety depth was a bit of an issue. Like if one of those guys went down, you knew that you probably were going to struggle on the back end. And lo and behold, one of those guys goes down pretty quick, and here we are. But you know, getting getting those defensive players back. I think it's going to – It's that combined with the lack of Justin Jefferson could be interesting this week.
0: Yeah, yeah, let's dive right into that. I think, you know, looking at the the Vikings' defense um, in general, just just because I know we're talking about stacking performances from the offensive side, what do the Vikings do differently than anything we've seen over the course of this year? I know we were talking a lot pre-show about the different looks that they show and and a few things that – you know, they they do differently than they've seen um, over the course of the first five weeks.
1: I mean, Brian Flores is a madman. He is just a madman. He, he's going to do some crazy things out there. He's going to do some things that might defy logic at times. Um, he creates chaos with the best of them. To go back to the thing I was just saying, the Bears need to keep doing. Like, Brian Flores, if there's one thing he knows how to do, it's create chaos. And that means he's going to bring blitzers at you. He's going to leave guys you've never heard of in man coverage against really good receivers because he they're going to get the the job done. He he's like he just he puts his faith in them to do it, and he coaches them well. Like he is a very good defensive back coach. He he coaches like you look at their corners. Byron Murphy, he was a what, second round pick a few years ago. He, he's actually the the one corner who you feel good about that they, that they're playing. But PFF has him at a 46.9 coverage grade right now. So like, it's kind of, I know he's talented, but also the Cardinals let him go last year for a reason. And he hasn't really performed that well early in the year, like pretty poorly by PFF grades at least. Um, And then after that, yeah, Josh Metellus, who's played all right. Um, more of a run, a run stuffer than anything, but he, I mean, I, I actually, I think he's a safety. So he probably doesn't even belong here. Excuse me. I'm looking at the PFF depth chart and it says his name, but I believe Metellus is a safety um, a Caleb Evans. He's actually played fairly decently out of Mizzou two years ago. Um, But again, he's not a guy that you really saying that's a number two cornerback in the NFL, you know, at least not yet. Like he hasn't proven that yet. Makai Blackman was like a fourth round rookie out of LSU, um, so they're really lacking talent at the cornerback spot, which is such a key for what Brian Flores wants to do. Because Brian Flores wants to let the dogs eat and trust his back at back seven to to lock it up, like so. When that's your plan, you need talent back there. And they, they're really lacking for the talent back there on the back end. But they are going to blitz the hell out of you. They're going to come for you. They're, they're, their D line is about as stout as they come in the NFL. Like they're not, I'm not sure what the status of uh, Marcus Davenport is for this game. I think he's still out. They still have Daniil Hunter there. But when I'm talking the, the, the stoutness. I'm really talking the D tackles. I mean, Harrison Phillips is one of the. I love watching Harrison Harrison Phillips play football. I I, I want to say he put up something like 40 reps of bench press at the combine when he was coming out. Like this dude is just a monster. He's just like a a giant meatball in the middle of the defense. Like you can't move him. And they have a few guys like that, like a few big 300 pounders that they that they keep right up there in the middle and just say. Try to move us. I mean, one of them is a, a uh, familiar name, Kyris Tonga, former Chicago Bear. Like, again, another 300-pound guy. Like, they're just – they are stout up the middle, and they're going to dare you to run the football on, on those guys, and they're going to blitz the hell out of you on top of it. Because, I mean, Daniil Hunter is still a pretty darn good player, but, like, I don't look at their pass rush and say that's a scary pass rush. You know, I look at their D line and say those guys can can stuff up some run some run lanes and those guys can stay strong up the middle and they're gonna rely on the blitzes to get home.
0: If they're gonna rely on those blitzes, that kind of pulls me into my next question. Talk about stacking games here. How does Justin handle that pressure? What what can they do schematically to make sure that you know, Justin can get the ball out and continue to see more anticipatory throws and to get another, you know, ahead of this monster going. I think I think Darnell Mooney is a huge key to continuing this success in the future. They they tried four times his way on Thursday, no catches, kind of blanked him out. And it seemed like he was open. Justin and him missed pretty often how do they continue to you know, stack these performances and what does Justin got to do to, you know, overcome this pressure that, you know, he's going to see on Sunday.
1: Yeah. I mean, so Justin right now, he's the ninth most placed quarterback in the NFL. Um, and by PFF grade, he's 25th in the league. Um, his stats are actually better than, the, than that would suggest. Like his completion percentage isn't good. He's at 57% completion percentage, which is probably near bottom of the bottom of the NFL, but two turnover worthy plays 7.9 yards per attempt, four touchdowns, one interception like the, the stats don't look as bad as the PFF grade does. But to me, like when, when you're saying schematically, what can they do? Like, that, that's a hard question to answer, right? Because beating the blitz is all about processing pre-snap to post-snap. Like, when you're sitting there behind the line of scrimmage pre-snap, recognizing who is the, who are the threats. You know, do I got six guys here I need to account for? Do I got seven I got to account for? Do I have eight I have to account for? To post-snap, what are those guys actually doing? And finding the open space if they are coming. Finding, like, say that it's one of the linebackers is coming. Knowing you have a hot route coming right over that. You called it hot pre-snap. Knowing you have that hot route coming open right there and nailing it with anticipation. Because that's one of the biggest things as to why field struggles against the Blitz. You need to throw with anticipation. Like, beating the Blitz is about getting the ball out on time to the vacated space. And that, that's why it's a tough thing to answer schematically. What can they do to help Justin there? I mean, I could, I, could, I could, you know, tell you a million different things about how they can get the screen game going, how Justin needs to hit his check downs. But, like, the reality is, unless you're in there knowing what he's comfortable doing, it's hard to truly pin it down beyond saying he needs to process quickly. He needs to see, trust his eyes and pull the trigger when he sees what he thinks he sees and just go out there and say, screw it on occasion, because you have six guys running at you and you only have five blockers. Um, To that point, actually, Justin needs to be aware of free runners. He needs to know, and this is something I actually just recently was thinking about, I wonder how much over the years Justin has really learned protections and protection schemes and concepts and whether that's something he's focusing more on now because I heard JTO Sullivan say this on a podcast a few weeks ago, which is what made me start thinking about it. JTO Sullivan said once he learned protection schemes and concepts – And what the O-line, like conceptually what the O-line was trying to do, he became the best version of himself because he understood pre-snap more where the danger is coming from, where like, I'm going to have this guy unblocked over here if these two are coming. I don't need to look over here to find out he's coming. I just know now because I see that those two are coming and that guy was coming no matter what because there's no one for him to cover. Like I know the play, I know that there's no one over there that would take him away. So he's coming. Um, that type of stuff I th- I get the feeling that Justin is picking up more on now, but I think that him knowing the protection schemes and concepts goes a long way towards him beating the blitz. And we'll see that on Sunday. You know, we're gonna they're gonna test him. Brian Flores is gonna try to I mean It's pretty clear when you look at Justin's profile that blitzing him can be very successful at times. I mean, as long as you can contain him as a rusher, because that's where he beats the blitz historically is as a runner. But, like, Flores is going to – I feel like he's going to look at Justin Fields and say, we're going to hit the crap out of this kid. Like, we are just going to bring the guys at him and make him beat it. So yeah. that's what I expect to see. Yeah,
0: that's what uh, that's what it seems like we're going to see out of, out of the Vikings defense. Q, before we uh, close up shop here, I do have one question for you. Give me a score and any final thoughts about this matchup, things you're willing to look at, matchups, things that excite you. Um, it'll be interesting to see on, on Sunday the way the, the Vikings offense looks considering the fact that there is no um, Justin Jefferson out there. um, That's my take on it. uh, But other than that, give me uh, some final thoughts on this one.
1: Vikings are going to fumble. There's one thing we know about this season is the Vikings will fumble. Um, So punch at the ball. Vikings are actually the number five team in the NFL against yards per rush attempt so that that feeds into what I was ability to stop the run like that's there like they they teams have not run on them except for the Eagles who put up 260 rushing yards at five and a half yards a clip no one else has exceeded 3.2 yards per carry but the Eagles just dominated them in that so maybe the read option might be big in this game is what I'm seeing there because the Eagles love the read option. They like that. They, they have all sorts of read option concepts they throw out there. Sometimes it's not even an option. It's just a handoff, but it, it's the same look and concept. Like they just don't want hurts taking the hit. So they'll just call it a straight run. I wouldn't be shocked if the bears try to lean on more read option this game for that reason, looking at what the Eagles did against them. Um, and Kirk cousins is going to Kirk cousin. I mean, no, Justin Jefferson. They're not going to be as effective, but they still got Jordan Addison. They still got KJ Osborne. They still got TJ Hawkinson. The Bear tight ends have torn the Bears up so far this year. The linebackers will need to be sound in coverage against Hawkinson because he's he, he's going to be a key man in this offense this this week for the Vikings. And Cousins is just going to he's going to get his yards. He's going to get his touchdowns. It's what he does. You, you got to hit him though. You got to find ways to hit him. And a, and a score, Q. Oh, and a score. Let's go. And to be clear, life's too short to pick the Bears to lose, so I just don't do it anymore. Um, but that being said, I'm going to go Vikings 30, Bears 32. All right. I'm going to go a little lower.
0: Uh, it's going to rain for like the next like six days here in Chicago. Oh, I yeah. I forgot about
1: the weather aspect.
0: Yeah, it's going to be trash around here. Um, I only know it because I've been trying to play golf. It's the end of the season. I'm trying to get out a couple times, and all my tee times seem to be uh, going to be rained out. But um, I'm going to go Bears 23, Vikings 17. Um, I think the Bears have a win streak on their hands. It's been a long time since we've seen one of those. And if you want to change your actually,
1: yeah, I forgot. I read I read about the weather this morning when I was looking at my bets for this week, and I just spaced it there. Um, I'm actually gonna say Vikings score three touchdowns and a field goal or two touchdowns two field goals so let's say twenty and let's say the bears get three touchdowns and a safety twenty three to twenty bears we like that
0: twenty-three number we really like that twenty-three yeah. number uh I am down and always for it cute thank you for your time today Bears on Tap is one of two Chicago Bears podcasts here at ONTAP Net. You can find us at www.ontapsportsnet.com for all your sports and literature needs. Bulls, Bears, Hawks, first night tonight, the Conor Verdard era starts. Cubs, White Sox, find it all over there. And also, while you're there, Christmas is coming. It's really coming before you know it. It's going to, be, uh, going to be gifts underneath that tree. Make sure you're heading into our merch store, checking out a shirt, getting something, koozies. we got awesome, great merch over there um, over at www.ontapsportsnet.com. Q, this was fun. And as you see, Bears on Tap is always over when the light runs out inside of my house. Um, third week in a row, I forget to turn the light on, but I promise you next week, I will be bright and not looking like a ghost the whole episode. (laughs) Um, But Q, thank you. Let's get out of here the only way we know how. Bear down. Bear down.